This is the Savvy Parent Podcast, where lawyer and financial planning expert Shannon McNulty and her guests share tips on how to make smart legal and financial decisions for your family. On this episode of the podcast, Shannon shares what international families need to understand when it comes to their estate plans. We talk about what your international status may influence in your estate plan, and we discuss at length what you need to know when it comes to guardianship, an area that is top of mind for most parents. There are many layers to an estate plan in general, but this becomes even more complicated for international families. So while we introduce the areas you'll want to know about, you'll also see why it's important to work with a professional who has expertise with international clients when it comes time to creating your estate plan. Enjoy the episode. Well, Shannon, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. How are you today? Thanks, Sarah. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. So we're going to talk about estate planning for international families. Now, before we dig in, let's set the stage. When we're talking about your international clients, can you describe the person who this information is going to be beneficial for? Sure. So mostly we're going to be talking about anyone who lives in the U.S., but has some kind of international ties. So mostly those are people who have come here as immigrants um, to live in the U.S., they're to work in the U.S., to maybe they to get married in the U.S., or maybe they become a naturalized citizen. So they may be a citizen or they may be uh, a resident here on a green card um, or other work visa, and they still have ties to their home country. Okay, great. And the other part we want to help people clarify in case they've missed our other episodes, when we say an estate plan, what does that entail? So when we're talking about estate planning, we're really talking about if something happens to you, if you pass away, if you become incapacitated, who's going to take care of your kids? Who's going to manage your money? And who is going to make decisions for you? Those are kind of the three big ones. And then there are legal documents and some strategies that we implement to make sure that all of those things are taken care of the way that you would want them taken care of. Great. And that's what we'll dig into a little bit for our international families who are listening or friends you might want to share this with, kind of those different pieces. So what is the worst case scenario when someone does not have an estate plan, when they haven't taken care of these different pieces that decide who takes care of their kids, what happens to their money and their decision-making? Paint a picture for us. Uh, Yeah, that's a pretty bleak situation. So a lot of the times, these types of clients, they or they're not clients because they haven't they haven't come and done their estate planning, right? Yeah. But um, in these types of families, it can be really bad uh, if there's nobody who can step in and take care of your child. If uh, both parents pass away, then the sort of default is that that child becomes a ward of the state and they go into the foster care system. Which is just so heartbreaking in any situation, and we we've discussed this before that. That's the worst case situation in any scenario, um, citizen or not. Is there anything that because um, someone is an international family that this becomes a worse situation for them if they if they pass away and they don't have these documents situated? Yeah. So a lot of this has to do with the fact that their close family members are often not in the U.S., So that's really the reason why they might not be able to come in and take care of their child. So if you have family here, then somebody can step in and petition for guardianship immediately. If there is no, there are no, you know, grandparents, aunts, uncles, things like that, 
then there might not be somebody who would obviously step up into that role. So that's where it becomes a, a, a more critical for people who are in that situation to make sure that they have a plan in place. Right. If you're, if the rest of your family is living abroad, it makes it much trickier to have someone get there immediately to ultimately help take care of your children. And we'll talk about guardianship a little bit more, but are there other areas of the estate plan that are more heavily influenced by someone's international status? Yeah. So uh, another aspect of it is who is going to manage the money for the child. That person usually would set up a, a, a trust and that person would be uh, whoever you appointed as the trustee. Um, at least in New York, that person can't uh, be a foreign person if it goes through probate, if it goes through the court. Probate is the court system that transfers your assets from your name into the name of your heirs. So if that goes either through a will or it just if there's no will, it just goes directly to the child. A foreign person, so a foreign family member, wouldn't be able to manage or access those assets. And if there was nobody, uh, no close relatives in the in the U.S., that might end up just being a stranger who's appointed by the court. So then, if I'm understanding correctly, uh, a living trust would need to then be created ultimately to avoid probate, so that an international family member could manage the money. Is that correct? Exactly. Okay, great. Any other areas that are influenced by someone's international status related to the estate plan? Uh, yeah. So one is if you have assets in other countries, then there, you may need more than one will. You may need a will in another country. Usually we don't ever do wills, more than one will. But this is a situation where we do recommend that you have documents in another country. And the, the sort of tricky part about that is you just want to really make sure that those documents don't conflict with the documents that you have um, done in the U.S. Because typically in the in a will or power of attorney, you recite, I revoke any prior wills or I revoke any prior powers of attorney. And so if you're not careful and your attorney doesn't know that, um, or if they're not working with the, the attorney abroad, then you could nullify all of your other documents, which can, you know, is often not intended. Right. That can... It can get messy if you're not careful, which is part of why we always recommend really talking with a professional who can help you make sure that all of these pieces really are taken care of. Now, again, we'll get to guardianship, but what if a parent is incapacitated and um, they need, you know, a temporary guardian? We'll get into that. But what if they need someone to help make the healthcare decisions? Um, what does an international client need to keep in mind regarding that aspect of the estate plan? And documentation. So usually it's not a problem for a healthcare proxy, which is what we would call the person who would be making medical decisions for you, um, assuming that you are not able to make those decisions yourself. Um, generally, the whoever was your healthcare provider, they would call your healthcare proxy who was designated in your documents. And that person could give instructions over the phone. And we've seen this unfortunately play out uh, recently with COVID-19. And it, it really didn't even matter if somebody was in the country or halfway around the world because they couldn't go to the hospital anyway. So they had to rely just on um, uh, on tele telephone communications. And so that's usually not a problem. But if you do feel like it could be a problem getting in touch with somebody or for hours or, you know, the, the time difference, 
then you might want to have somebody who's in the U.S. as a backup person. Just so somebody in normal circumstances, non-pandemic circumstances, could be there at the hospital if that was needed. Yeah, I mean, sadly, that's a good point that we've seen experience with how these issues play out because of the pandemic and needing to get in touch with families who are not currently in the country. I'm curious, um, there could be language barriers that are involved in this when people do not live in the country. So would it be on the responsibility of someone on our end, say our lawyer or the team at the the hospital here to provide some sort of um, translator to communicate with the person? Or is it more on the individual in the other country's end that they would have to secure someone? Do you know how that actually plays out? Uh, I think it would really depend on the hospital. Like some hospitals I know in in New York City, this is something that they deal with regularly. So they do have people on staff, I believe, to be able to interpret uh, certainly Spanish, probably Chinese, a lot of different languages because the population is so diverse. Um, however, you know, that person, they, especially if you're not in a, a big metropolitan area or depending on what language, you know, if you speak some language that is not widely spoken anywhere, you know, and, and represented, then you probably, that, that maybe either you need to have somebody on that end to be able to translate, or you probably should have somebody, a, some, a different person. Gosh, so many different layers that, that you need to think about. Any other plans or documents that should be in place that we haven't touched on yet? Um, I mean, a lot of the documents are the same as if you, you just have a, a family who is domestic, um, who is just everybody is in the U.S., but there are just variations on how those documents are prepared. And then I would say the other thing is uh, taxes can be very different when you're dealing with um, international transactions. When you have uh, different types of visas, the tax implications, the estate tax rules are different depending on whether you're here on a green card, whether you have citizenship, whether you're here just on a temporary work visa. So all of those things go into what the estate tax implications of your situation would be. I see. Now, let's dig into guardianship a little bit more, because as parents, I think this is probably one of the most pressing topics on our minds when we think about if something were to happen to me, what then happens to my children? And we've talked about this on another episode, but in case someone missed it, specifically around guardianship, what do your clients need to know, especially international clients? They need to know that whoever is appointed, designated in your will so that's generally how we would designate a guardian for a child. The parents passed away. Uh, they have to be appointed by a court. And so you want to have also in place uh, what we call a temporary or standby guardian as well. Uh, and that's in New York, it's a separate document. And that allows someone to take custody of your children immediately for a temporary period um, while the the long-term guardian who would be the same person is petitioning the court and working with the lawyer to get the formal appointment. When you have somebody who, when you have a foreign guardian involved, the court requires more. They require greater proceedings, more information. And so that process of appointing the guardian, which, you know, in, in some cases can be very quick, can be very long. They have a very long proceeding in terms of they need to get reports from the home country on basically an investigation has to be has to take place in the home country to make sure that the named guardians would be fit to take care of the child 
And only once the report is issued, will the U.S. court appoint that person as the guardian. Wow. And is the assumption here that when um, the person who becomes a guardian who lives outside of the country, that they are then taking that child or children out of the U.S. and into their own country? How does that piece work? Exactly. That's the assumption. If that person were to move to the U.S. and they would need a visa, say, you know, if they had a green card or U.S. citizenship and they were planning to live in the U.S., then that would be a different story. That would be much easier. What the court is really concerned about is the child is changing jurisdictions. So once the child leaves the U.S. and is under the care of a guardian, the court in the U.S. no longer has jurisdiction to oversee that. So if there's something goes wrong, the court isn't there to correct it. They, they have no jurisdiction anymore. So that's why they want to make sure that wherever that child is going, it, they're going to be in a safe place. Right. Now, we talked about this on a previous episode, sort of this worst case scenario that you, you don't have anything in place. Your children can unfortunately end up in the foster system. And then correct me if I'm wrong, but they will try to find the next, closest next of kin to care for the children. Is that still the case with international families, even if the closest kin lives internationally? Guardianship is actually a proactive measure that the guardian has to take. So the guardian has to request to be the guardian of the child. It's not that the court goes and looks for people to be the guardian. If nobody steps forth and applies for guardianship, then that that's it's it's not going to they're not going to appoint a guardian they're they're just going to have uh, the child go into the foster care system. I see. And so, if you have multiple individuals step up in the case that no guardian was chosen, and you have family who lives internationally who wants to become the guardian versus maybe a family friend in the United States who decides to step up. Do you know, will the courts tend to favor one over the other? Because I think this is important for people to know, right? This is why we don't want a worst case scenario, because you want to make these choices. But if that were to happen, international family, local family, friends, both are willing to step up and help. Do the courts tend to favor family over staying in the United States? Yeah, courts will always favor family members. Okay. Um, But there is, again... Where are those people? Uh, if, if it depends often on what country they're in. So the court will look to, is that country have a system of laws that is similar to ours? Will the human rights of that child be protected? You know, if, if it's somewhere like France, then usually, you know, in some kind of Western European country or somewhere that has a similar legal system to the U.S., then it's it's not going to be a problem. But when you're looking at... Uh, Iran or, or somewhere where maybe the human rights, certainly not North Korea, a child would never, I don't think, probably for good reason, be sent to North Korea. But the court will take those things into account. So in addition to just, is that person fit personally uh, to take care of the child? They'll also look at the context of where, where in the world geographically they're located. Yeah, which I think, again, it goes back to, this is why you as the parent want to really choose the people that you'd like to have involved in, again, a worst case scenario that you are no longer able to care for your children. And I just want to go back to a point you made about this temporary or standby guardian, that it seems like it would make sense in this sort of situation that you have a local temporary or standby guardian, um, maybe not a family member, if you will have to wait 
for an international family member to ultimately fly to the US, that ultimately will take time. So it would seem to me that you would want someone local, right? Is that temporary or standby guardian? Absolutely. That person should be somebody who is local. And then we also put, in addition to the standby guardianship document in the will saying that pending any guardianship proceedings, appointing the foreign guardian that you would name a U.S.-based guardian to serve in the meantime. Because even if that person is able to get here, one, do they have a visa? Are they going to be able to get here? Two, is it going to be a situation where they can just come in? I, I mean, right now, we have situations where in certain countries we can't, you can't get here. You know, it would yeah. just, there's, there's no way that they would be able to fly here. So you just never know what those circumstances would be when that would be needed. Right. So you definitely want to have somebody in the U.S. That definitely makes sense. Now, are there any additional concerns or considerations around choosing a guardian that we haven't yet touched on? Uh, I think that we, we covered it pretty well. I, I would probably just refer our listeners to, I think we have another podcast on, yeah. on guardianship to, uh, for more information just on choosing a guardian and what that process looks like outside of the international context. Absolutely. Because we had some good conversation around how do you choose that person, the different points to consider. And so we've already kind of, I think, painted this picture that, especially for international families, you probably don't want to DIY this. You don't want to try and put all these pieces together yourself. Um, So can you just confirm that for our listeners that this probably makes sense that you'd like to work directly with a lawyer, someone who is especially knowledgeable with international clients and not just some of the online tools that you can probably find? Yeah, this is definitely not a DIY project. So um, if you are in this situation, you want to do your estate planning, definitely hire a lawyer, look to see, do they have experience with international clients, particularly when they have young children? Uh, it, It really is kind of a more specialized area of the law, even within estate planning. So you don't you, you just don't find that many lawyers who really understand or are familiar with these concepts. And I will also say that you may not be in a big city like in New York or, or another metropolitan area where there are a lot of international families and that you do have an attorney who understands these issues. What I would recommend in that case, you work with a local lawyer and then you could ask them to co-counsel or to hire as consultant an attorney who's outside of that state um, or outside of that area who specializes in this and advising international families. And that way you can get that kind of expertise, but still be working with uh, an attorney who's local to you. That's really great advice. Now, as we wrap this up, what are the two or three takeaways you really want people to remember from this episode? I would say, make sure you do your guardianship planning, make sure that those wishes are documented that you have somebody in the U.S. as a backup, and also just think through all of the different scenarios with respect to your assets, how they are going to be transferred, what the tax implications of that may be, and who would serve in those roles. So um, really, I think (laughs) takeaway is probably you really need to talk to a professional uh, who works in this area to help you figure out all of these different nuances, because there are a lot of wrinkles. I mean, we kind of just touched the tip of the iceberg here but there are a lot of issues that that can come into play as well that maybe we have we haven't discussed. Yeah, and we'll definitely tell people when you can DIY, but this is one I think those listening probably understand there yeah, there's just so many layers and you want to make sure your children are well taken care of both physically, 
and the money that you're ultimately providing your additional assets. So a lot goes into this. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for shedding some light on, as you've said, a really complicated topic, but giving some really strong information to get people going. Thanks, Sarah. It was a pleasure. We hope that this episode has been helpful for our listeners who are a part of international families. For additional information and to join our free community, visit us at thesavvyparent.us.